in this house. And I don't always do this uh, where I start off right at the right off the bat with the title of my message. But today on Super Bowl Sunday, I am going to just give you a, a title today, and it is the Chiefs, a sinner and a cornerstone. Preach on the Chiefs today. Amen. We're going to begin in Genesis chapter 49. That is the 49th chapter of Genesis. Again, 49er, the 49th chapter of Genesis today. All right. Just going to grab your Bibles. We're just going to read a couple of verses from that. This passage that we are diving into today, to give you a little bit of context, it's taken from the blessings and the curses that the chief patriarch Jacob is bestowing upon his children just before his death. This man of God was speaking prophetic words over his children and their families according to their deeds and according to the discernment of the Spirit as it led Jacob to speak with clarity, with concision, uh, these blessings and even curses over his children and their families. This is the father of 12 sons. He had 12, um, he had more than 12 children, but he had 12 sons. Reuben was the firstborn of them. He was born of Leah, that first wife of Jacob, the one whom he despised. And when Reuben was born, Leah cried out saying, the Lord noticed my misery, my misery. And now my husband will love me. Jacob, though, did not love her. She gave birth again to Simeon, and she said, The Lord heard that I was unloved, and she has given me another son. But Jacob still did not love her. And then came Levi, with whom Leah said, Surely this time my husband will feel affection for me, since I have given him three sons. The third didn't change his affection. So when Leah became pregnant a fourth time, she named him, she named this child Judah, for she said, now I'm not worried about the affection of my husband. I'll just praise the Lord. And Judah being that Hebrew word for praise. And this is the blessing of Judah that I want to read here today in Genesis chapter 49. And Jacob, he's saying in beginning in verse eight, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp, for they pray, My son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, as an old lion. He shall rouse, who shall rouse him up? Notice this in verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. Until Shiloh come, and until him, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Amen. Jacob says to Judah, the scepter shall not depart from you until Shiloh comes. The translations say the scepter shall not depart until the blessings come your, or until the blessings are fulfilled, until those things that have been promised come to pass, until the one who will gather all the nations of the world unto him comes. Whether Jacob knew it or not, he was speaking prophetically in that moment. He was saying, out of your lineage, Judah, there will be a royal tree. From your bloodline, kings will arise from your family tree. Chiefs and royals will emerge. 
Yet not only will great kings of this earth be born, but the Savior of the world, the Messiah, Shiloh, the one. He will come from your lineage, Judah. Amen. Let's you can set your Bibles down. We can lift up our hands one more time in this place. I just want to ask the Lord to be with us today as we let his word speak to us. Lord, we come to you. Lord, I thank you and I give you honor for what has already taken place. Lord, I believe that healing has already been poured out. Lord, I believe that you have already poured out blessings in this house. But Lord, I pray that you would speak a clear word to us. God, that we could receive it. That we could let your word, God, come and cut to the depths of us, Lord, so that we may be changed for the better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated here today. Praise God. It's somewhat a mystery why such uh, such importance was bestowed upon Judah, the fourth son of Jacob and Leah. He was not the most loved son of Jacob. The, uh, that honor clearly went to Joseph. Judah was not the most righteous. For it was Judah that was the one who came up with the whole idea to sell Joseph, his brother, to the Midianite slave traders. You know the story. They did not like their youngest brother, or their younger brother, Joseph. He was obviously dad's favorite. He got everything that he wanted. And they were sick of it. They were sick of him telling them of his dreams. How one day they would bow down to him. How one day even his, his family, his, his parents even would come and they would pay honor and respect to him. They were sick of hearing all of these things from Joseph's mouth until one day they decided, let's kill him. They threw him into a pit. They were going to leave him there to die. But then some Midianite slave traders were coming their way. And Judah spoke up. Got his brothers around. He said, hey, why, why shouldn't we just profit from this a little bit? Why, why leave our brother down there to die? Instead, let's sell him. We can get some money for this. And so they got some pieces of silver. And they, they received that in exchange for their brother's life. They sold him. He was taken to Egypt and Judah was the one who was in charge of getting his brothers around and selling his brother Joseph into slavery. Yet it was, it was also Judah who, who as a later in life, or just, just later on, he, he not only sold his brother into slavery, but he also, in Genesis chapter 9, it tells us of this story how he went and he slept with the prostitute. He got her pregnant and he, he tried to deny it until she was able to reveal some proof that he was in fact the father. And with that, he had to stand up and say, she is more righteous than I. So I say it's a mystery. Why Judah? Why is it promised that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come from the lineage of a man like Judah? Now, if you continue reading through the story, we don't get all the details. We don't see all of Judah's life and how it progresses. But there seems to be that there was a turning point as some, uh, somewhere along the line for Judah. He had a change of heart. There was some kind of circumstances that necessitated a change, a transformation in his life. Because as you get later on in the life of Judah, after that 
uh, that child being born and that, uh, that uh, circumstance that took place with that woman. Uh, after that, from that time forward, everything about Judah is seen in a positive light. That Judah had a transformation take place in his life. It was Judah who, of course, not knowing all the circumstances, I don't know if it was that moment that was the turning point or if it was something else, but this one who betrayed his brother, this one who sold him into slavery, was also the one who we see causing Joseph to see that my brothers have changed. See, Joseph, that brother who had been sold into slavery and whom had now ascended to second in command under Pharaoh in Egypt. He was there, and and I know this is a, a familiar story for many, but uh, I'm going to tell some of the details of how, how Joseph had ascended up, and he was now in charge of, of dispersing the grain to all of those who were in need. There was a famine that had come their way. It's been seven years long, and... With his identity hidden, Joseph, he saw his brothers come and they were needing some food. They were in search of some food for they had none where they were living. And they came to Egypt and Joseph recognizing them, but them not recognizing him, Joseph decided, I'm going to test my brothers. He decided, I'm going to, I'm going to put them to a test. Something about tests today. I talk about tests in our first Bible study in here, but Joseph decided, I'm going to test my brothers. I'm going to see if they're still the same as they were when they hated me so much and they sold me into slavery. And so he, he does not hold back the grain. He gives that to them, but he tells them, it, he, he tells them, I think that you guys are spies. He finds some information about their family. Really, he, he notices that his youngest brother, Benjamin, had not come with them on this journey. And so them, uh, having to prove that they were not spies, uh, Joseph tells them, I need you when you come back. You must bring Benjamin. You must bring him with you. Or else you're going to be in prison. You cannot come back here without your younger brother. So when Joseph uh, did this, he sent them off. And, and of course, they again had a time where they needed some food. This famine remained. And so they needing to go to the one place around that had any food. They go to, to Egypt. But the father, Jacob, so reluctant about allowing Benjamin to go with his brothers. He feared that Benjamin would not return. He feared that the same thing as Joseph never uh, returned home one day and he disappeared all those years earlier. He, he thought Benjamin also is never going to return. I'm never going to see him go. But them needing food and them insisting we cannot go back without Benjamin, Jacob allowed him to go. So when Joseph saw his youngest brother, Again, Joseph disguising his own identity, but him seeing his youngest brother Benjamin there with him, he began to weep. Quickly, he collected himself and he decided, once again, I'm going to test my brothers. So he devised this plan to incriminate Benjamin and he, he uh, ordered his officers to plant a stolen item from the palace into his sack of grain. And as they left... He sent his officers out to get them and said, you guys stole from me. And they go searching through all the sacks and they find this cup that had been uh, been from the palace. And they was there inside Benjamin's sack. And so Joseph 
feigning anger at young Benjamin, orders him to be arrested. As the officers marched towards Benjamin, it was Judah who sprang to action. He was the one who put himself between the officers and his youngest brother. He was the one who pleaded with this angry Egyptian official. He said, please don't arrest my brother. Take me instead. I don't believe that he is you know, really guilty of what he's being accused of. But, but whether or not it's true, I don't care. Take me. I'll pay the price. Just let him go free. Here I am. And, and him riddled with all the guilt from his past, I'm sure. Thinking, I cannot let my brother go to jail. I have to take his place. Joseph Seeing that his brother had transformed, seeing the transformation that had taken place in his life, he reveals his identity, reveals who he is to his brothers who are there, and they have this family reunion. We, but but the, the point of what I'm getting to is that there was a transformation that took place in the life of this man, Judah. He was the one who sold his brother Joseph into slavery. Now he's begging to play, to take the place of Benjamin. He doesn't care if he has to spend the rest of his life in prison. It was the transformation of a man who would become a chief among chiefs. He was a leader. He would become the forefather of kings. It was from his lineage that the Messiah would be born. The Savior of the world was going to come from Judah. The Savior of the world isn't going to come from the one who was the favored one from the earliest days. It wasn't going to come from the one who was perfect. It wasn't going to come from the one who had never made a mistake. But it's going to come from a man who had a a transformation take place in his life. It was going to come from the man who, when he looked back, he had plenty of scars. He had plenty of reasons why he should have been thrown out. Why he should be disqualified. When you look back on Judah's life, he was not perfect. He wasn't even close. But yet, when the time for blessing came, they said, Judah, it's from you that Shiloh's going to come. It's from you that the Savior will come. The Messiah will be born from your lineage. See, today... Here in this place, surely there are those who can relate to Judah. You look back on your life, and surely you can point to some things that you are not proud of. In fact, there are too many of those things to count. A sin has had its way with you. Sin, at times in your life, it seems as though it's had a stranglehold on you. It's as if You maybe even now are living just like Paul wrote when he wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 7. He talked about the curse of sin and and what it's like struggling with sin in our flesh. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in in my sinful nature. I, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, 
I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. And I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power it makes me a slave to the sin, and it's still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and by death? Can I get a witness of anybody in here who has ever felt that hopelessness of sin's path of, of destruction in your life? That, that grip that sin can have on you, that, that cycle that you seemingly cannot shake, that, that thing that it feels as if it's just closing in so tight. It's like, why can't I stop? Why can't I be set free? Why is it that I'm bound by sin? Why do I do the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I know I should do? Why is it that I am a failure? Why is it that I look back and I know that sin has a grip of my life? And if that's you today, can I just tell you that you are not alone? You're not alone. And on top of that, you are not worthless. You're not doomed to stay there. And please let me give you some hope today. That the man who wrote those words in Roman about the struggle of sin, he was this man named Paul. This guy was absolutely incredible. He was one of the greatest Christians who has ever lived. But he, he wasn't always so great. In fact, he was downright awful. He described himself once as the chief of sinners. It's in First Timothy Chapter 1, verse 15, he says, This is a faithful saying. It's worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Out of all the sinners that are out there, he said, I'm the chief. I outrank every single one of them. Barabbas, I've got him beat. Judas, yeah, he betrayed Jesus Got him crucified, but I'm the chief sinner. Herod, he may have chopped off John the Baptist's head, but I'm the chief. See, you, you can list off and you can think of whoever you want, whoever you want to, but the worst person in the world, however bad they are, I'm worse. I am the chief sinner. That's what Paul was thinking. Isn't it amazing how, how we can look at ourselves in this light? Now we, we can play the greatest hits of our worst mistakes over and over and over. We can beat ourselves up. We know all of our worst mistakes. We can play them on a reel over and over, convincing ourselves that we are the worst, that we're the chief, that I don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't deserve a second chance. I don't deserve to be able to get back up. I'm the chief sinner. I'm, I'm the worst. I'm so far away from God. Perhaps for you, you, you may know the reality that God is love and that God, he will forgive you. But you cannot forgive yourself because you know all the things that you've done. 
You cannot forgive yourself. You can't shake the, the, the burden of, of your past. You can't shake the burden of all these things that have stacked up because of your choices and the things that you've done, that you've denied God. And you've, you've hurt those who are closest to you and those who love you. And you can play all the greatest hits and you say, I am the chief sinner. I look around this room or you may, you may look around this room and you may feel like, man, I don't belong. I don't belong with all these people in here. They got it all together. Let me tell you, we don't all have it together. You look around this room and there's still struggles. There's still things that people are going through. There are no perfect people who are sitting here. And there's certainly no perfect people when you look back in our past and you see all of the dirt and all of the junk and all of that that is sitting behind us. I know that not everyone feels this way, but there are far too many who feel just as Paul did when he said, I'm the chief sinner. And I know perhaps he was saying this in all humility, just, just recognizing the fact that he is a sinner. But, but the reality is there's so many in, in this place today who you feel that inside of you where you just cannot really get to the places that you know God, you know, could Bless somebody else with, but for you, you've made too many mistakes. For you, you're, you're too far gone. For you, you know, forget it. Forget the being able to make an impact on this world, or being a world changer. As we were just talking about these kids who were up here singing. For, forget it. Forget about that for me. Forget about any kind of ministry opportunity. Forget about all of that. I'm the chief sinner. I can't. See, the reality is, As you're struggling to forgive yourself, really what you're doing is you're rejecting the forgiveness that he's already given to you. He has already forgiven you. He died on the cross for your sins. And now it's time for you to forgive yourself and to accept his forgiveness. He died for you. He paid the price for you. Now accept His offering. Accept His sacrifice. Because He gave everything so that you could be free today. He gave everything so that you didn't have to walk around in that bondage of sin. And the bondage of shame. See, Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Romans 5, verse 8, it says that God demonstrates His own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. While I was still the one who's all messed up, who's still the chief of sinners, the one who is far away from God, He still died for me because His love extends that far. His love extends as far away as you may be. God's love extends to you right now. See, we talked about Judah having a transformation story of his own, but Paul, he also had a transformation story. Just like Judah, he went, you know, he was the one who sold his brother into slavery. And then he went and by the end of his life is pleading to take the place of his brother in prison. Paul has a testimony to tell and he he shares it several times in the New Testament. Here he was. He wasn't a thief. He wasn't a robber. No, he was he was an accessory to murder. He sought out Christians to have them imprisoned and even killed. And he loved it. He thought he was somebody. 
He thought he was doing something great. In his mind, he was doing the Lord's work. Then one day, at a time so unexpected, Paul came face to face with Jesus. Jesus knocked him right off of his horse. He was on his way to Damascus, this city there that he had heard there were some Christians that were hiding out. And he's on his way there to arrest them, hopefully just you know wipe them out. And on his way there, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, came to him. This is post-resurrection. Jesus had already been crucified. He'd already risen from the dead. He'd already ascended up into heaven. But he came back for a little conversation with Paul. And he said, Paul, I need you because you're going to reach millions. You've been doing everything possible to get rid of me. But I'm still here and it doesn't matter how bad you may be. I'm going to use you for my glory. I have some transformation that's going to take place in you. See, in his mind, Paul, he's, he's doing the Lord's work. But, but this day, this encounter with Jesus Christ changed everything. When Jesus is reaching for him, the chief of sinners, here he is meeting another chief. It's one who later Paul in his writings, he would refer to. The one he met as the chief cornerstone. That chief cornerstone, this is, this is in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. It says, therefore ye are no more strangers, you're no more foreigners. Your, your life has been transformed, it's been changed. But now you are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Paul, the chief of sinners, is meeting the chief cornerstone. Let me tell you, he's not just the chief cornerstone, but he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the great I am. He is the great God and Savior. He is the Almighty. He is, as we were just singing, the Alpha and the Omega. That is the beginning and the end. He is the light of the world. He is the bright and the morning star. He is the true vine, the way, the door, the truth, and the life. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the head of the body and the first fruits of them that slept. He is the captain of my salvation. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the one who I can go to in my time of trouble. He is the lily of the valley. He is the king of Salem, the rose of Sharon. He is the stone that was cut out from the mountain that came to rescue me. He is thy all in all. Jesus is the one who when I come to, when I met him, he turned my life around. When I met him, he transformed my life. I've never been the same after meeting Jesus Christ. I may have grown up in this, but there was still a day in my life where I had to make a decision for myself to follow Jesus or to follow my flesh. And I chose to follow Jesus and I'm best, I am better for it. Telling you that when the chief of sinners meets up with the chief, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the chief cornerstone, the one who when you get down to the foundation, it's a, it's a foundation that's not going to shake. It's not going to move, but it's firm. It's there. That 
I'm telling you, it's something that you can stand on. Then you can begin to see the turn that you've been hoping for all those years living in misery. See, Paul, as he was writing about all the sin and what sin does to us, he was there, and I'll go back to that last verse of, of Romans chapter 7, 24 that we were reading. It says, oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death. I'm glad he didn't stop there because he said, thank God the answer is in Christ Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is the answer to what I was searching for. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to your story. Jesus is the answer. When you go and you look back on your shame, when you look back with shame on all the things that you've done, Jesus is the answer. talking today to those who are here and maybe you perhaps you've been living for God for many years but yet you still hold within you the shame and the guilt from your past would you give it to Jesus would you come to the chief cornerstone would you come to the king of kings stop building yourself up as so great in your misdeeds that God cannot reach you that God cannot forgive you if God can reach Paul if God could use a Judah this one who had a story of all the awful things selling your brother into slavery doing these, living this life that was unrighteous but yet Transformation begins to take root. I'm telling you, when you begin to see, when you begin to walk as a disciple of Jesus, you begin to see Him and He reveals Himself to you and you abide in Him. Abiding in Him is simply coming to Him and finding a secret place of prayer. Saying, God, I'm tired of living the way that I've lived. God, I'm tired of this. That's you just saying, I messed up. I feel like I've gone too far. I need you. That's a prayer right there. And he'll meet you in your place of need. You admitting that you feel removed from him and that you want him to draw close to you. That's a prayer that he'll answer. I mean, if you find yourself today still reliving the things in your past of all the things that you've done wrong and you, you come in here and you worship, but yet you just can't get past those things, would you just give it to Jesus today? Would you just give it to Jesus today? If this is your first time ever encountering Him and His love, let me tell you that His love extends as far as the east is from the west. That's how He describes it. Nobody is too far from his reach. There's nothing that you could do that would be too much. I could tell you story after story of individuals who have 
even in prison, even in this room, who have been hooked on drugs, who have sold drugs, who have committed awful offenses, different things. Thank God for His forgiveness. Thank God for His mercy. Thank God for His love. We stand in this place. It's not because you deserve it. It's not because you warrant it. But it's because He loves you today. It's because He loves you so much. I have a friend, I have a friend who I was just recently talking to, was talking about how in his past he was, he was the one he should have been, he was arrested several times, but should have been picked up many more than that, um, selling drugs, theft, robbery, arson kinds of horrible things in his past that he'd done, shameful things that and when he came and he finally saw Jesus he saw God you love me enough to forgive me enough to forgive me of the people who I ruined their life and you know, I want to go back I want to try to fix that but whether or not I can fix it God you still love me Today, he's a minister of the word. He's pastoring a church. He's received the love of God. He's a great leader. I'm thankful for him. I have a friend of mine who I grew up with in high school. My locker was right next to him all through school. I've been discipling him, and I'm thankful for a reconnection that happened. Just a couple of months ago. And David, he's not here today, but uh, I'm thankful that we still, we've stayed connected. We've been meeting about it once every week at least, as much as possible, just open up the Word of God, talking about what God has done. And he, he began to share his own story about what God has done, the depths of sin that he was in, the hopelessness that he felt. When I called him about three months ago, he was in a place that he, he said, I can't, I can't ever go back there. All I know is I can't go back to that. So hooked on drugs, out of his mind. Such a place mentally that he was arguing with God, standing in a field arguing with God. Not even knowing that God, not even knowing if God was real at all completely out of his mind ended up with hypothermia because he's out drugs he's out in the cold for hours on end and just doing these, had him so messed up so far away thank God for a collision with Jesus Christ thank God that prompted me to reach out to my friend, this friend who I hadn't talked to in years, but 
reach out to him. And David was just telling me a couple of weeks ago how he had somebody that, um, another guy that I know that we went to school with, but he was in conversation with him just the other day, and he was telling him, your God isn't real, that Bible stuff, oh, none, of, none of that works, he said. So I was about ready to, to put up my hands and fight him over that. So that was my old, my old self kind of coming out. So I was about ready to fight him over the fact that I know my life has never been better since I've met Jesus. Since the day that I went down in these waters and I came out with my sins washed away. In December, he was down at HYC and he received the gift of the Holy Ghost, received that Spirit of God. I'm telling you, his life has never been better. He said, my life has been completely transformed because I met Jesus one day. I was out of my mind before, but I met Jesus and my life has never been better. I'm telling you, he has it for you right now. Wherever you're at, Wherever you, whatever place of chief sin you're in, you're not too far. You're not too far. Here, just a moment. We're going to come and do a song, but I want to invite you right now. If you feel the Lord drawing you, if you feel the Lord pressing upon you to say, to, to make a move towards Him. I want to ask you to come up to this altar area. And I know that's a step that sometimes takes courage to come before us. I promise you, by making that move, that is a step of faith that you're taking to say, God, I'm going to put my trust in you. And he will respond likewise. And he will begin to pour his spirit out on you. He can begin to, he, he will meet you just like he met Paul on that way to Damascus. Just like he met David there in a the hospital room. Just like he met, uh, he met so many others. He will meet you in this place and your life will never be the same. The chief sinner meeting the chief savior. The chief savior wins every time. Would you come to this altar right now? If you feel the Lord drawing you, would you come? Would you come? Would you make your way up right now and just lift up your hands? Maybe it's the shame and the guilt that you've been racked with. Maybe it's the things that you've been carrying around feeling like you're not enough. God doesn't see you as a failure. God doesn't see you. Would you just pray the prayer or just speak the words that Micah spoke when he said, when I fall, I shall arise. When I fall, I shall arise. Maybe you have fallen this week and you're feeling the guilt of that. Make up in your mind, I'm getting back up. Rejoice not against me, oh mine enemy. Rejoice not against me, I'm getting back up. Because my Jesus is here. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Would you just call out to him right now? He'll hear your prayer. He'll hear your cry. Let him turn it in your face. Watch him work. 